Uh, We're going to be looking at Philippians chapter 3. Philippians chapter 3, the first 11 verses. If you're at home and you have your Bibles, please open up to Philippians chapter 3 or pull up that scripture verse on the computer. Philippians chapter 3, verse 1 through 11. If you were here tonight, which would be what I would rather have, I would be telling you to turn to page 1828 in your pew Bibles, but we're not doing that tonight. At home, open up your Bibles to Philippians chapter 3, verses 1 through 11. Hear now the reading of God's perfect and holy sanctifying word. Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. It is no trouble for me to write the same things to you again, and it is a safeguard for you. Watch out for those dogs, those men who do evil, those mutilators of the flesh. For it is we who are the circumcision, we who worship by the Spirit of God, who glory in Christ Jesus, and who put no confidence in the flesh, though I myself have reasons for such confidence. If anyone else thinks he has reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law, a Pharisee, as for zeal, persecuting the church, as for legalistic righteousness, faultless. But whatever was to my profit, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them rubbish, that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God and is by faith. I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow to attain to the resurrection of the dead. Thus far, the reading of God's holy word may bless it to the hands, hearts, and minds of his people. We're also going to be looking at Lord's Day 23 of the Heidelberg Catechism. Uh, The Heidelberg Catechism is a historic confession of faith that our church holds to, much like a statement of faith that you would find on any church website. And a catechism is simply a question and answer type uh, form of document. Uh, A question is asked and an answer is given. Um, This is an old standard practice, a way of learning. It goes all the way back to uh, Greeks, Socrates and Aristotle and such. And uh, Lord's Day 23 um, is question and answer 59, 60, and 61 of the Heidelberg Catechism. We're going to be looking at Lord's Day 23 tonight. The question for question 59 is... What does God, what good, excuse me, what good does it do you, however, to believe all this? That is, all that has come before in the catechism, all that we believe about the confession of faith, the Apostles' Creed, that I read to you tonight as what we just went through in the catechism. The answer is, in Christ I am right with God and heir to life everlasting. Question 60, how are you right with God? Answer, only by true faith in Jesus Christ. Even though my conscience accuses me of having grievously sinned against all God's commandments and of never having kept any of them, and even though I am still inclined toward all evil, nevertheless, without my deserving it at all, out of sheer grace, 
God grants and credits to me the perfect satisfaction, righteousness, and holiness of Christ, as if I had never sinned nor been a sinner, and as if I had been as perfectly obedient as Christ was obedient for me. All I need to do is to accept this gift of God with a believing heart. And question 61 asks, why do you say that by faith alone you are right with God? The answer is, it is not because of any value my faith has that God is pleased with me. Only Christ's satisfaction, righteousness, and holiness make me right with God. And I can receive this righteousness and make it mine in no other way than by faith alone. That's the teaching of our catechism. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, enlighten your word to us that we may come to know that it is only by true faith we become righteous because of the righteousness of Christ. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Does anyone know the definition of the word alien? Definition of the word alien. Well, it has a few different meanings. Most of you are probably thinking of the little green people because that's our terminology today. Our most common cultural understanding of the word alien is denoting beings from another world. Um, another definition of alien is uh, a foreigner, right? Someone who is from a foreign country. Or little green people, right? Um, creatures from another world. But our sermon tonight is called Alien Righteousness. And the word alien in that phrase, alien righteousness, comes from the Middle English. And is derived from a Latin phrase. And what it means is this, belonging to another. Belonging to another. So when I say alien righteousness, what I'm saying is righteousness that does not belong to us. It belongs to someone else. It's belonging to another. Um, alien righteousness is righteousness that belongs to another. And that's what we're going to be looking at tonight. What is this alien righteousness and how do we come to be recipients of it? So our theme this evening, through faith, in Christ, we receive His righteousness. Through faith in Christ, we receive His righteousness. His righteousness. It's not a righteousness that belongs to us. It's a righteousness that belongs to Him. Only He is righteous. That is, having right standing, right, with God. He's not broken the law. Through faith in Christ, we receive His Perfect righteousness. We're going to look at three points. The necessity of righteousness. The basis 
of this righteousness and the instrument. Another way to describe what we're talking about tonight is the word justification. Justification. When we become recipients of Christ's alien righteousness, a righteousness that does not belong to us, um, we're considered justified. Justified in the court, the courtroom of God. So let's look at this first point, the necessity of receiving this righteousness, or the necessity of justification, right? Now question 59 says, what good does it do you, however, to believe all this? When it says, believe all this, the catechism is talking about what we confess in the Apostles' Creed. All the, the most, a big chunk of Lord's Days that came before this very one was about the Apostles' Creed. In fact, if you Look at Lord's Day 22. It says, how does the resurrection of the body comfort you? How does the article concerning life everlasting comfort you? Continuing, what do you believe concerning the forgiveness of sins, the communion of saints? Each phrase of the Apostles' Creed was broken down for us, and we were asked, what does it mean that we believe this? And we had an explanation of these things, and we were told what it means to believe this. And here, at the end of all this, the question is, what good... What benefit does it do you to believe all of that, summarized together, all of that? And the answer given, of course, is that in Christ I am right with God. In Christ I am justified. And... I am heir to everlasting, eternal life. I'm justified, and I am promised eternal life. Um, I don't know if there's a better answer to the question, what good does it do to believe all this? You see, as Christians, we're going to get this question a lot in the world. We're going to get the question a lot. Why do we believe of this fairy in the sky? Why do we believe these things about Jesus, who some people say didn't even exist? He's just a figment of our imagination. He's, just a, he's not even historical. Why do we believe that someone could be raised from the dead? Why do we believe that there is a God who created the heavens and the earth? What good does it do you to believe all that? The simple answer given is one that confronts the person who's asking you that question with this reality, that there is a judge. There is a judge, and that there is life after. There is a judge and there is life after. Why are those things important? Because the judge is perfect and holy and righteous and we are not. And we are not. And because, why is it important that there is life after this life? 
that in a very real sense, we're all meant, we're all created to live forever. Why is that important? Because there's not simply one destination. There is perfect blessedness. But there's also eternal condemnation and punishment. So why does it matter? What good does it do us to believe all this, to confess all this? Because by believing these things, not simply knowing them, believing them, we are justified before the judge and we receive eternal life in the life hereafter. Therefore, to not believe these things means that we are not justified before the judge. We are found guilty. And that in the life after, we do not receive eternal life. We receive the opposite. We receive eternal death. So the call to us all brought before us in the words of the Heidelberg Catechism is believe. Believe on these things and you shall be saved. That's what we need to be screaming to the world right now. In the midst of her panic, in the midst of her unrest, in the midst of all of the, the, the shallow dreams and security that people, place, people have, people place their hope and trust in, that's not the ultimate that's not the foundation. That foundation is shaky. That is sand. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and you shall be saved. That's the necessity. The necessity of our justification or of needing to receive the righteousness that is not ours, the alien righteousness, right? In relation to that, Paul says in Philippians chapter 3, that there are those false teachers out in the midst of the first century church who have entered into Philippi and have begun to teach that you need to be circumcised in order to be saved. Paul says, watch out for those dogs, those men who do evil those mutilators of the flesh. For it is we, those who have faith, who are the circumcision, we who worship by the Spirit of God, who glory in Christ Jesus, who put no confidence in the flesh. Put no confidence in the flesh. And Paul says here, what good does it do you to believe all this? And some are saying, no, we want to put confidence in our righteousness, in our belief, in our faith. We want to put confidence in what we can do. That's what these people who are in the church of Philippi saying that you need to be circumcised. Paul's saying, we don't put confidence in the flesh, in our ability, in our righteousness. Right? And Paul goes through this great example of saying, if there's anyone, if there's anyone who is worthy, quote unquote, to put confidence in their own righteousness... To trust in their own ability to accomplish good works, it is Paul himself. 
He says, if anyone else thinks he has reason to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, the Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law of Pharisee, as for zeal, persecuting the church, as for legalistic righteousness, faultless. Paul is given a pedigree of his resume for being able to put confidence in his own righteousness. And instead, he says, whatever it was to my prophet, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them rubbish, he says. This has got to be one of my favorite Greek words. It's skubalon. Rubbish. Paul considers all his filthy rags of self-righteousness. He considers all his own righteousness. Although he has the best pedigree of any Jew. Hebrew of Hebrew. He's a Pharisee. He considers it nothing. Trash. Compared to knowing Christ Jesus, the Lord. So Paul's answer to the question in the Heidelberg Catechism, what good does it do you, however, to believe all this, is that it does me all the good. Conceivable. It accomplishes all the good conceivable to know that I am right with God and Christ and that I am an heir to life everlasting. And our confidence, therefore, Paul says, should not be in the flesh, should not be put in our own righteousness. But it is necessary to let go of our own righteousness so that we can be recipients of Christ's righteousness, of an alien righteousness. A righteousness that does not belong to us properly. Let's talk about the basis of this righteousness, of receiving this righteousness, the basis of justification, right? Uh, question 60 says, how are you right with God? I can't think of a more important question than this question. How are you right with God? How can we, as lowly creatures, fallen, sin, cursed, be made right with God? Only by true faith. Only by true faith in Jesus Christ is the answer. And Paul says he considers all of his own righteousness rubbish. He compares it to something, right? He says, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus. He considers it rubbish in comparison to knowing Jesus. 
having a true and intimate communion and union with Christ. He considers them rubbish that he may gain Christ and be found in him. The basis of this justification is that we receive the righteousness of Christ by true faith. The catechism answer continues to explain this. It says, Even though my conscience accuses me of having grievously sinned against all God's commandments and of never having kept any of them, and even though I am still inclined toward all evil, so the first part of that answer is a very clear statement. We are not deserving. If you go back and you read Paul's pedigree in Philippians chapter 3, you read what he says, and he says, Though I myself have reasons for such confidence in the flesh, he's using hyperbole here. He's, 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 he's showing that there is nothing that you really should have any confidence in. And he compares and he says these things, circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, the Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law, a Pharisee, as for zeal, persecuting the church, as for legalistic righteousness, faultless. He's not saying that those things are worthy at all to place confidence in. But he is saying that that's the way some people think. And so before we can ever get to a place where through faith in Christ we receive his righteousness, we have to realize one thing. That we are not righteous. That we are not righteous. Paul here is declaring these things and saying that they were foolish. They were foolish for him to put his trust in that. To put his confidence in the flesh. It was foolish for him to think that even as a circumcised Jew of the tribe of Benjamin, in regards to the law of Pharisee, and as for legalistic righteousness, faultless, as for zeal, persecuting the church, he put his trust in in that when actually all those things are empty they gained him nothing so for him to say I consider it all loss is for him to confess that although at one point he would have looked at his life and given this wonderful resume of the reason for why he should be made right before God, deep down, Paul came to the conclusion that he's not righteous, that he does not have a righteousness of his own to present. He does not have a righteousness of his own to provide, to give, to show. How can we be made right before God? So many people today believe that that's on the basis of their own inherent goodness, their good works. 
They believe that on some day in the future, they will be able to stand before God and they'll be able to say, well, I'm a good person. And that is a fatal flaw. There is none good, no, not one. And the first thing that we have to come to a realization about before we ever understand the basis or ever receive the righteousness of Christ that is not ours is to know that we do not have a righteousness. And therefore, we need a righteousness that does not belong to us, that is not our own. We need an alien righteousness. The basis of this righteousness given to us, the basis of our justification being made right with God, right, is this. Without my deserving it at all, out of sheer grace, out of sheer grace, God grants and credits to me the perfect satisfaction, righteousness, and holiness of Christ as if I had never sinned nor been a sinner, as if I had been as perfectly obedient as Christ was obedient for me. So let me erase some of this so I can point you to what's going on here. The basis of our being made right with God is an alien righteousness. That belongs to Christ. He is the one who lived the perfect life. He is the one who never sinned against God. He is the one who upheld the laws of God perfectly. But he's the one who on the cross received the punishment of those who did not keep God's law who do not have a righteousness of their own. He was treated as one who was without righteousness, killed as a criminal on a criminal's tree. And all of this righteousness, both his active righteousness and his passive, his active obedience and his passive obedience, is then given, transferred, right? Or using the terminology of the catechism, a a bank type of uh, terminology, credited, credited. God has given us a line of credit to us. It is given to us. It is an alien righteousness that is transferred to us Out of sheer grace. Out of sheer grace. The question, after we discuss this point of the basis, right, is that how does this transfer occur? How does this righteousness that does not belong to us come to belong to us? 
come to be something that we participate in, that we are receiving, that we are given. And that's the last point that we're going to talk about, right? The instrument. The instrument. Of receiving this righteousness, of receiving this being made right with God, this status as one who is justified. Paul counts all these things as nothing. He said, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ. The righteousness that comes from God and is by faith. Through faith, faith is the instrument by which we receive the alien righteousness of Christ. The last part of question and answer 60 says, all I need to do is to accept this gift of God with a believing heart. So, an analogy for faith, or how we receive the righteousness of Christ through faith, right, is to accept a gift. Accept a gift. There is an inherent humility in accepting a gift. Now, oftentimes, during the holidays, during the the moments in which we exchange gifts, um, that humility is harder to see because we're all expected socially to give gifts to each other. And so, um, you bring a gift for, let's say, your spouse or um, someone else. But the expectation is that they will have a gift for you as well. It's a little bit more clear when when you have little children and you get gifts for them. You buy gifts for them and you wrap them and you put them under the tree. But they have no expectation of getting a gift for you. That's really the gift, accepting a gift that I'm talking about here. The the accepting of a gift that, that is through faith receiving the righteousness of Christ is, is a bit like if a billionaire came to you and said, I want to pay for all your outstanding debt. I want to pay off your mortgage. I want to pay off your vehicles. I want to pay off your credit cards. And I want to get you set right with a $20,000 gift on top of all that. And you're wallowing in debt. You're living paycheck to paycheck. That is the kind of gift that this is because that person, that millionaire, who's giving a gift to that individual who's stuck in poverty, um, that person has no ability to give a gift back. That person has no money of their own to somehow ever 
fathom that they would be able to give back what that billionaire, millionaire has done for them. And that's our position. Why? Because we have no righteousness. Christ has all righteousness. He gives us what the catechism calls the perfect satisfaction, righteousness, and holiness of Christ given to us. How can we ever repay? How can we, how can we equalize this gift exchange? We can't. We can't. All we can do is open up our hands and accept it for what it is, grace. All we can do is accept it for what it is, the gift of God, accept it with a believing heart. Question 61 says... Why do you say that by faith alone you are right with God? Faith is the instrument of our receiving the righteousness that is not ours, the righteousness that does not belong to us, an alien righteousness. And the answer the catechism gives is, it is not because of any value my faith has that God is pleased with me. Only Christ's satisfaction, righteousness, and holiness make me right with God. And I can receive this righteousness and make it mine in no other way than by faith alone. Faith alone. We, in our helpless state, uh, with nothing to give, open up our hands as those who have grievously sinned against all God's commandments and have never kept any of them, and as those who are still inclined toward all evil, to receive by faith alone, through faith alone, the righteousness of Christ, which is credited to us. The catechism here is saying that faith... is not to be thought of or understood as our one work. The one work that we do. And all else is of grace, but the one thing that we do of our own ability, of our own accomplishment, the one thing that we do trusting in the flesh is believe. Catechism is saying that's not the case here. Say there's no value of my faith. It is not because of any value with my faith, the value my faith has, that God is pleased with me. Now, faith itself is a gift of God. So it's not that faith is the one work that we do and then all other things are of grace. It's not that if Paul here is saying in Philippians chapter 3 that he shouldn't have trusted 
He shouldn't have put confidence in the flesh in regard to circumcision, in regard to being of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law, a Pharisee asked for zeal, persecuting the church, asked for legalistic righteousness, faultless. He's, saying, he's not saying, I shouldn't have put any confidence in those fleshly things. Um, but what I should have put confidence in flesh-wise was at least one thing, faith. No, that's not the case. Paul says, I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow to attain to the resurrection from the dead. These are all proclamations of Paul's faith in Christ. Because through Christ, he has received all the righteousness that he needs. We do not put our faith in faith. We do not put our faith in our ability to maintain our faith. We do not put our faith in the quality or quantity of our faith. The instrument by which we receive the righteousness of Christ is faith. But the object, the object of our faith is not our faith. It is Christ and Christ alone. And the only way that we can receive this righteousness, the instrument, right? And there is no other way. That by faith alone. So the alien that we are talking about tonight is not an alien such as a person who belongs to a foreign country or nation. It's not alien in denoting beings from other worlds, the little green people. It is alien that means belonging to another. The righteousness that we have is not our own. The reason we've been declared justified is because through faith in Christ, we have received His righteousness. And my question to you tonight is, if you're watching and you haven't placed your faith in Christ, may you know um, that there's nothing else you can put your confidence in that will assure your right standing with God. It is only by faith in Christ alone that we can receive His perfect righteousness and be seen before God just as if we had never sinned nor been a sinner and just as if we had been as perfectly obedient as Christ His Son was. That is our only hope. It's our only comfort in life and in death. We pray, I pray, that if you're watching this tonight and you have not trusted in Christ, that the Lord would begin to work on your heart to do so. That you would not put confidence in the flesh anymore, but trust in Christ and the righteousness that comes through faith 
in him. And if you are believing tonight, I pray that this sermon this evening would strengthen you in that faith, that you may know that whatever circumstances may be facing us in the days ahead, we have already received all that we need in Christ. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, we pray that you would help us to know. Help us to know the wonder of your grace to us in Jesus Christ. May we know that our justification is out of sheer grace. where you have granted and credited to us the perfect satisfaction, righteousness, and holiness of Christ our Savior. And we pray, Lord, that you would keep us. Keep us trusting and believing in Christ alone. It's in his name we pray. Amen.